My dentist is cooler than your dentist. Don't embarrass yourself or your dentist by arguing this point. But this podcast is not about my dentist. It's about his wife, Dina. Dina became a lawyer over her parents' objections and became a prosecutor for reasons that... I don't want to ruin it. I'll just let you hear why. Dina is an interesting blend of lightness of spirit, shall we say, and intensity. I think it comes through in this interview. Give it a listen. I enjoyed my time with her immensely. I'm sitting down today with my friend Dina Shabayak. Dina was a prosecutor for a while, then became a criminal defense lawyer, and now is uh, owner and instructor at Fahrenheit Yoga in Nashville, Tennessee. So this should be interesting. (laughs) Dina, thank you for uh, doing this. Thanks for having me. All right. So how did you become a lawyer? Did you always want to be a lawyer or did that just sort of uh, come upon you? So, um, I was born to two Middle Eastern parents who, from when I was a kid, I mean, they made a big deal about education. And so, from when I was a little kid, they were like, you know, you must be a doctor or a lawyer. And what, what, is there a nationality behind that or? Yeah. So, um, so my parents grew up in Cairo, Egypt and they, uh, my mom's an anesthesiologist. My dad's a mechanical engineer and they immigrated to the U S um, in the seventies and I was, so you are first generation. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so just as a kid, they just like hammered into me the fact that I either had to be a doctor or a lawyer, but, but what that really meant was you need to be a doctor. And so, <laughs> so just, you're a giant disappointment. Totally. Totally. Yeah, your so multiple like, career changes. None of them are okay. Dude. I mean, my parents were like, uh, okay, so when are you going to take the MCAT to just really like stick? Yeah. Can, I cu- can I cuss? Yes. Okay. Just to really stick it to them. I, um, I took the LSAT. Yeah, both my parents have MBAs. Okay. And both my parents thought, well, you know, I remember going to school as a freshman in college and my dad was like picking out all these business track courses. And I'm like, okay, first of all, I'm not qualified to take that math. Oh, Second God, of all, yeah. I don't want to take that math. Right. And uh, honestly, I was seven or eight years into being a real lawyer and my dad was still coming to me and he was like, you know, um, Belmont has a really good evening MBA track. And I was like, dad, I've been a lawyer for a decade. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm not even on your payroll anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm really going to do this. Yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, parents totally like they try to influence and shape. Yeah. They want the best for you, but totally. I think the, sometimes parents have a hard time realizing that the best thing they can do for their kid is guide them and model for them what being a good adult, a good human being looks like. But you can't pick their career. No, I mean, you, can't, you so. really can't. All right. So your parents grow up in Egypt. Are they are they um, Muslim, Christian? So we grew up. We were raised Muslim. Okay. Um, I'm not a practicing Muslim or anything. I'm more. I just consider myself to be spiritual. But you were born um, in the United States. Born in the United States uh, in Connecticut. But. but not a huge time after your parents get here. Right. So my dad, I guess, got here before my mom. Um, my mom was always British educated in, in Egypt and, and her dad was in the United Nations. So there's an so, international. Totally. Right. Yeah. So they're all right. Yeah. So they leave Egypt, come to the United States yeah. and you are born to be a doctor. I'm born to be a doctor. And, um, I thought that I would be for a while and then, I was just like, you know, I was a weird kid. I, I didn't really like to go outside and play. Uh, my thing was like watching cops. 
I just loved it. I would just watch episode after episode of Cops, you know, and judge whatever, uh, People's Court or whatever was on TV. Um, and so, and I just loved it so much. Um, so then, so I, partly because you love it and partly because you're just rebellious by nature. Yeah, totally. You, you not only don't take the medical school exams. That's right. You take the law school exams. Take the law school exams. I, um, also growing up, I would say in, in college primarily, uh, so I went to Harper Hall cause my dad was like, you will not go to school with boys. So, <laughs> so I also had to do that. In so the by little, the time that I went to like little, UT Knoxville, I was like, fuck, there's yeah. not an adult in sight. I'm just going to let loose. So the little UT, the little, uh, blue plaid skirts, uh, you go to Knoxville. I imagine you, uh, shed that. Um, oh. Constriction fairly quickly. I went bananas. That is that happens so often. The yeah. particularly to girls, the the more their parents try to put them under their thumb, yeah, the more that the first time they get the shackles off, they yeah. just go buck wild. I went crazy. See? I went insane. I couldn't <laughs> even tell you what the UT campus looks like. I don't even think <laughs> I went to one class. <laughs> and so after a year, my parents were like. Okay, you got to come back. Uh, so then I went to Belmont. I, I did the pre-med program at Belmont undergrad. And then that's all they got. All right, so they reel you in. They reel and me you, in. And you compromise with them. I compromise with them. Right. So, uh, but like you, I hated math. Uh, I, I did like science, but science combined with math was, I mean, brain does not compute. So yeah. physics, I failed physics. I didn't have to hate math. I, it hated me, and I was not <laughs> any good at it. It did not make any sense. No, I, it so, still doesn't to me. So I can count money. I can do that, and yes. I can understand cash and cash flow and right, you know, return on investment and stuff. But right, no, no, exactly. So all right, so at some point you have to go break it to your parents that this is not. I'm not. I'm not going to medical school. I'm not going to medical school. And here's how I, I kind of. Uh, gave them the reason why I would suck as a doctor is because in chem lab, I would always be paired with people that were very, very precisely and accurately measuring chemicals and, you know, just, and I would just like look out the window, like, dude, why does this even matter? Like, let's get the fuck out of here. And I just knew as a doctor, you kind of have to, you can't just be like, oh, well, we're just going to wing it, you know, add a little bit of this and add a little bit of that. And just, yeah, you know, it sucks to be you. Sucks to be you. <laughs> Um, so anyways, I was like, I, I feel like I could, I could do better as a lawyer. And so I took the LSAT. Because it sounds like, it sounds like your parents, not only were you going to college, yeah. there was postgraduate work coming. For sure. It was, 100%. you were not just going to go to college no. and then go figure out what to do. No, okay. no way, no way, no way in hell. So you were yeah. going to be a student until you were at least 25. Absolutely. All right. For sure. And so I, um... I graduated from undergrad. It took me a couple of years to just kind of realize that uh, I could make my own decision. I took like two years off and worked at Lady Foot Locker at the Cool Springs Galleria Mall, <laughs> which was amazing. So uh, here's my question. What did your parents say that you were doing to their friends and colleagues while you were working at Lady Foot Locker? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that, but please trust and believe that my dad was always like, such and such as child just got accepted to medical school in Harvard. <laughs> Harvard, Princeton, Yale. 
And so like, which I knew was never gonna get like LSAT scores to even go to freaking Vanderbilt, let alone, I suck at freaking standardized tests. So, but I don't know what they were telling them, but I'm sure it wasn't uh, Lady Foot Locker. Uh, but you know, then I started studying for the LSAT, took the LSAT, and then I started working for this very small law firm in Nashville, Lyle, Seaman, and Shelton. Okay. And it was at the top of the Renaissance Hotel. And just to kind of backtrack to back to my story at UT Knoxville days when I was going bananas, I hung out with a lot of people that just did bad shit. And I was like, I'm going to be a criminal defense attorney. I'm going to take care of my friends. I'm going to go to law school. And so when any of my friends get in trouble, <laughs> this is almost I'm going to This is almost exactly what Amanda Gentry told me a few a few weeks ago. Really? Yes. Are you kidding? Nope. Yeah. No, so, she I mean, was like, she, I, forget, I forget exactly what she told me, but it was that. It okay. was basically, I'm looking around at my friends and my family and I'm thinking, I could help them. Right. So. Yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to help my friends that were constantly getting jammed up by, by the police. And then so one day I'm leaving uh, work from this little law firm that I told you about and I was parked, I always parked in the open parking lot behind, I guess it's Hume Fog. Um, and I wasn't paying attention, which is like near where the strip club used to be. There was a strip club there. There was a there was a strip club strip club called the Classic Cat. Oh, and okay. I know that not because I ever went there. Okay. I never went there. Sure, sure. But when I started practicing law in 1993, mm-hmm. there was a parking lot there, and you could park. I think it was it was a like a dollar a day or something. Uh, first come, first serve with a with a box that you had to okay. slide a dollar into your to your slot. Okay. Uh, so I'm familiar with the parking lot. Okay. <laughs> Why were you okay? Okay. Well, it was because I was practicing in Nashville, and that was I I wasn't you know I wasn't allowed to park in the building. Okay, gotcha. So I had to make do. Sure. And it just happened that that was a parking lot that I found that was pretty cheap. That was one and the other one which was further away but cheaper uh-huh. where what is it the bridgestone arena now uh-huh. yeah. okay before that was there okay. way back before that was there there was a gravel parking lot there with spray painted spaces and you could park there for a quarter a day which does not exist right at a, all. yeah it was a it was a huge gravel lot what is it like 35 dollars to like park downtown i couldn't even tell you something that. ridiculous yeah, so yeah but I interrupted you. So you were leaving work one day. So I was leaving work one day and I was totally situationally unaware and I had my driver's side door open and I was messing with my purse. So I was like half in my truck, half out of my truck. And then I heard running on uh, the pavement and I look and this guy is literally full speed ahead. And next thing I know, I'm in headlock getting fucking carjacked in downtown Nashville at 4 p.m. And so, you know, we fought for a little bit. It was kind of like comical after the fact because we were really tired. And at one point, we just like looked each, we were like panting and like both had our hands on our knees (laughs) and just like tired of fighting with each other. He had no idea. (laughs) He had no idea who he was fucking with. And so I just instinctively, I still had my keys in my hand and I threw my keys and he just very calmly picked up my keys and, and drove off. And then they found him like 10 minutes later and we did a show up and I was like, fuck that. I'm going to be a goddamn prosecutor. <laughs> yeah. So if a liberal is a conservative that hasn't been mugged yet, right. then a wannabe criminal defense lawyer 
uh, is a wannabe criminal defense lawyer who just hasn't been carjacked yet. Right. That's okay, totally so, right. So you hardened immediately, immediately to the criminal underworld. I was like, fuck this dude. I'm putting people like that in prison. Keep Alan work. Fuck him. And then... Is that the guy that carjacked That's you? the guy that carjacked <laughs> <Not> me. <laughs> <laughs> Not that Keith, you hold a grudge, but Keith done he he got me when I but I wasn't paying attention to you know and he was out on parole so I had to go to his parole revocation hearing and had a, did the preliminary hearing. So before you were a lawyer, you were a victim. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so then I went to law school. Uh, started off at Cooley in Lansing, Michigan, which is like this tier four school. Again, my LSATs sucked. Um, and, but it was a great school. It was very diverse. There were kids from all over, you know, the country where I'm sure their LSAT scores sucked as well. And then I just busted ass like in my first year. And then I transferred to the University of Louisville and then finished there and then got a job with the DA's office in Nashville under Tori Johnson. Okay. And what year? And that was in 2007. All right. So you come in as a lawyer in 2007. Yeah. Um, and, uh, do you start trying cases fairly quickly? Uh, I was in general sessions for, it was, it was pretty quick. It's kind of a training ground. Yeah. We moved up. So it was six of us that were hired together. Um, and they were, had all been interns at the office before. And I think Tori just thought that it was interesting that I was a victim, had been a victim. And so I think that's really why he hired me. Um, but we we moved up pr- pretty quickly, all six of us, to criminal court, and then I was um, I started off in Judge Norman's court, Division Four. Um, now, at the time, it may and it may still be this way, but typically in Nashville, mm-hmm. if you're a DA in circuit court, you go in front of the same judge all the time. Yes. Yeah. So, so there there's is- a little squad. There's. Yeah. There's the prosecutors in that courtroom. There's the public defenders in that courtroom. There's the judge in that courtroom. That's right. So you all know each other. You all know how everything's going to go. Yes, exactly. And, right, so you kind of fall into this routine where you, you're just cycling the next the next bad guy. That's exactly right. Okay. So it's like, uh, you know, um, six criminal courts, uh, usually four, you know, DAs and four public defenders in each courtroom. And then that's just where you show up every day. And that's your home. Park in the same place. Yeah. Go to the same courtroom. Go to the same see courtroom. See the same judge. See the same judge. You know what's going to happen, you know, typically speaking, in a probation violation. You know how sentencing is going to work. You right. just kind of, yeah. So. How long did you do that? So I was in Division Four for a couple of years, and then I moved to Judge Fishburne's court, Division Six, for several more years. And so I left August 29th of 2014. Okay. Yeah. So you were you were a prosecutor for seven years. Yes. As you think back on it, mm-hmm. are there any cases that you think you might have got wrong? Oof. Or that you think if I had it to do again with the benefit of everything I know now in 2020, whether it's life experience or mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. you think there's any that you think you think back on and say that one I'm I wish I had a do over on that. You don't have to name names. Just- yeah. Oh gosh, I'm sure I can't think off the top of my head, but I'm sure I fucked something up. Um, actually, I do know a case that I fucked up. Now, when you say you fucked up, do you mean like procedurally in the rule book or do you mean like you just sort of miscalculated what justice required? I think I, I, so I think it was, 
Probably a little bit of both. Because I've never been a prosecutor, so I don't know what that would be like. But I would think, what I always kind of look at criminal defense cases or, or criminal cases, it's like, is this a mercy case or yeah. is this a vengeance type case? In some cases, you know, that what the defendant is alleged to have done and maybe did do, there is not much room for mercy. And other cases, it's sort of like, you know, how do we, let's measure this carefully. Because yeah. there's, there's what we might be able to do if we all go and play our part. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm speaking from the standpoint of a prosecutor, like, sure, I could probably try this case and I could probably convict this person and I could probably get them sentenced to 12 or 20 or whatever. Yeah. But is that really a good outcome in sure. the big scheme of things? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm tracking with what you're saying. And I think certainly I think that there are cases that I handled that I could have done a better job. The one, the one case that I am thinking about that doesn't necessarily fit into what you're talking about, though, is... I had a case in Division Four, and this was fairly um, close in time to when I had moved up from General Sessions into criminal court. And I had a case that was charged as like this aggravated burglary, and the way that the warrant read was it was like literally like a two-liner, and it was just like this person, this defendant broke into this person's house, and they happened to be neighbors. The end. And, <laughs> and for, for people listening that may not be familiar with criminal code in Tennessee, a burglary is breaking into a building for the purpose of committing a crime. Right. Aggravated burglary is a residence, right? Correct. Okay, yes. so you're breaking into someone's home, right? Um, whether they're there or not. Right. And it always irks me when reporters, in particular, use robbery, burglary, and theft as if they're all the same. They're not the same. No. But in this case, the allegation was. Basically, somebody broke into their neighbor's home. Right. Okay. Exactly. And the neighbor happened to be home. And then it was just like the end. And so I tried calling the listed victim and apparently like two of the numbers had been transposed. And I was just like, okay, whatever. I mean, I'll just, you know, I'm just going to get rid of the case. And I really didn't use the resources that the DA's office had to offer. We had investigators. We had people that could go out, victim witness coordinators. We had, And this is where volume becomes a problem, right? Yeah, true. Like, this is where, like, if every case were the only one happening, a lot more, we'd probably get a lot more accuracy out of the system. But at some point, there's, it, a, there's volume. So and, much volume. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for both the public defenders and the district attorneys. Right. Neither of you have exhaustive resources to go out and True. apply to one case. You're trying to manage a nearly all of them. Right, <laughs> exactly. And so it's like, even though you know I had resources available to me, I just never really like... Nothing uh, triggered your... Nothing triggered you to think, I better get further into this. Right. Okay. So, so I, I would my, my first reaction is okay. That's a that depending upon where this story goes, maybe that's a really poorly written warrant. Yeah, it was a poorly written warrant, but I you know I have to take ownership in the fact that I just didn't dig deeper into it. And I think you're right. I think it is a volume thing. I think it was a, a I was a baby DA thing, and I um, just kind of gave the case away 
in the sense of, well, I can't find the victim, which I literally tried calling her once. And then... So you settled it for I settled trespass it, or something? Yeah, I settled it for some bullshit, like time served something. The guy had a shit-tastic record, had just like gotten out of prison, you know, from a Williamson County case for doing like some kind of aggravated kidnapping. And so anyways, one day after court, I got pulled into the principal's office and she had called and she had found out about the disposition and she was very, uh, you know, very upset. So this is the call that no prosecutor no wants. No motherfucker right. wants. Right. Yes. So, I mean, and nobody wants their boss called on them. Yeah. But this, is, this is where it's very hard to be a young lawyer, yeah. particularly a young lawyer in a, in a system. Mm-hmm like a public defender, but maybe more importantly, a young DA. Yeah. Because you you don't necessarily have the seasoning to be able to sort the wheat from the chaff. That's right. And so totally. a lot of times the default is hang them high. Right. No one ever calls and complains about that except the victims, except the defendant's mama. Right. And no one cares about that. Right. Right. So, and I tell clients that all the time as a criminal defense lawyer, look, the part of the reason we're not getting an offer that's easy to say yes to is because no prosecutor wants to walk out of the courthouse and have the channel four in their face. No. And no prosecutor wants to have to sit down with the victim's family right. and the elected district attorney and explain how this went. Yeah. So. And so that's what happened. Sort of what happened. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, and Tori was just, he, he was awesome. He was just an incredible boss, incredible human. And he was just, I mean, which made his reaction made things so much worse for me because instead of yelling at me or you oh, know, did he pull that banishing or banishing I'm, me, I'm disappointed in you. Yes. Oh God. It was the disappointed. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I fucked this one up. And there because was just, it, it turned out that the facts... It turned out that he literally held her hostage for hours in her bed. She was an elderly woman, and he was, like, just terrorizing so, her for hours. So, but now, okay. I mean, all right, fine. You you made an offer. The defendant jumped at it. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. But where was the DA... Where was the grand jury in this? I mean, they should have charged him with... It was one of these things where it was hinky, where it started off. So in, in Davidson County, and I don't know how they're doing it now, but you know, it was if it was your division's arrest period, then you know somebody in that division would go downstairs to general sessions and handle the jail docket and, okay. and do the preliminary hearing and kind of so follow to provide it. some kind of continuity. Yeah, exactly. And so it had started off in in one. Uh, division's arrest period and somehow that case got transferred to my division. I don't know if... So another continuity driven yeah, by, it driven by a, volume. Correct. It might have been a situation to where I already had an open case on this defendant and they just moved the case from division who handled it in preliminary hearing in general sessions who, world. Who knows how Who knows started. how right. it... But Dina Shabay, baby, baby prosecutor Dina Shabay got her hands on it and, and didn't do the right thing. But, but as far as what you were talking about before, as far as, you know, did I do, uh, you know, maybe I got it wrong in, in the sense of maybe I prosecuted somebody that, that didn't, you know, I, I got it wrong that way. I'm sure I did. You know, again, it was just, it's, it's so much volume. Um, it, it is, it's, you try to do the right thing. You try to really assess the case, 
listen to the victim, listen to the victim's family, see where you've got issues with your case and just try to do the best thing. How hard you know? is it to go to a victim or a victim's family and tell them, hey, um, the police officer made a mistake or um, there's a problem. Yeah. And you guys want him hung from the tree today and I'm just telling you, I can't do it. Yeah. How hard is that conversation? Oof, that's fucking hard. Um, I've had to have several of those conversations actually where uh, one that comes to mind is um, I had a victim who, who I really truly believe was a true victim but then started doing his own police work and just kind of mucked up the fucking case yes. and just and it was just you know so that obviously sucks um, you know there's other cases that I can think of as well where it's just you know you have to bring the victim's family in and a lot of times these victims already come from a background where they're distrustful of the police to begin with. Right. Not every victim is a gung-ho law and order Correct. true believer in, in justice type person. That's a lot right. of victims come from backgrounds where they don't trust the police. They just happen to be on the wrong end of the the equation that day. So true. And it's so, so they, true. when you have to go tell that person, hey, the case is fucked up, they just look at you and go, no kidding. Yeah. Right. right. Oh, oh, guess. Oh, okay. Right. So the system that put my, my brother, my sister, my kid in prison wrongly also can't do the right thing right. when I'm the victim. Right. Exactly. So, gee, but, thanks for your fucking help. Right. You know, thanks for nothing. Yeah, you're right. That's so true. Um, but yeah, I, it was, it was probably the best job that I've ever had though. I so, loved it. It, but I mean, at some point yeah. it's a grind. It's right, a like showing yeah. up every day yeah. with another bloody mess, yeah. another drug addict, another mentally ill person, another, you know, uh, pathetic victim. Um, I, at some point, yeah, you, you, you got to like, like, it, it's a, it's tough. It is tough. It's probably, I mean, and I do the same thing. I'm not prosecuting cases, but. Um, so what do you do to like not lose your mind when you're doing that for what'd you do? Seven years, seven years. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it definitely as cheesy as it sounds. I think it really does change who you are. If you work in any aspect of the criminal justice system, I think it really, I became very cynical. Um, I think I became this person who could no longer, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, relate to my friends who or not, yeah. weren't in that industry. And we develop in the back rooms of the courthouse a gallows humor. Totally. And I imagine it's probably the same among surgeons. Of course. Um, soldiers. Yeah. Right. I'm sure that everyone who has a front row seat to terrible human suffering gets this way. Yeah. But like every once in a while I've stopped and thought, oh my God, the conversation we just had outside of the context in which we just had it would be horrible. Uh, right. <laughs> like, if there was like, anybody that was a, you know, fly on the wall listening, right. they'd just be shocked. They'd be horrified. horrified. This, is, this is what the people who are running the thing are thinking yeah, or saying. Totally. But I feel like it's a defense mechanism. You kind of have to get that way or else you will be, you know, in so much pain. And yeah. You cannot become emotionally gripped no. by every thing that comes across the desk. You can't. Um, which is why I think I sucked at being a criminal defense attorney. Well, okay, so we're going to get to that in a minute. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, you, and the problem is that at the same time that we're trying to be like detached, partly for our own sanity, yeah, and also 
partly because we have we have to like play by rules, and right. you, you know you you can't get you can't become a personal you know uh, mercenary for a victim. Right. You have to play by rules and sure. measure justice every day. Absolutely. Um, which really doesn't compute for the person who is completely and thoroughly emotionally immersed in the situation that they are there to talk about. Right. Like they are the victim or they are the defendant. Right. Their life is Dep- different. Literally independent on this. Or, or yeah. hangs in the balance. Right. And then there we are. Yeah. Like next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of disconnect there. Yeah. Um, so uh, for I re- think it's really, I think it's really important too, and I don't, I've never practiced anything other than criminal law, but I feel like it's the cool thing, or at least my experience is, um, I always had, I always tried to maintain really, really good relationships with the defense bar and, and literally be their friends and go out for drinks afterwards. And that's something also, you know, that people can't understand if they're watching from the this gallery is, or this is. Exactly the same thing that Sunny Eaton told me just I a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Sunny. She's a great lawyer. Yeah, um, great human. She is a great, really interesting human. Yeah. More on that later because her show, her episode will have will have aired, so to speak, by the before this I one. I can't wait but to hear it. It's it's not out yet, but yeah. yeah. Sunny said the same thing, which is you know it's really important to have a personal relationship with the people that you're doing this with. Sure. Because at some point we at some point. It matters whether or not the other side trusts you. One million percent. Right. One million percent. So, like, if if you're dealing with a criminal defense lawyer who you know is shady and sketchy, then even when they come to you with some truth, can't, you don't believe can't it. Can't believe them. Yeah. And if you're dealing with someone who you know to be truthful, yeah. Then when they tell you, "Hey, you have a problem here," yeah, you tend to think maybe there's a problem here. Yeah. So, for reasons that don't make much difference. Um, you end up not staying at the <laughs> at the prosecutor's office past that 2014, right. that and you right. can say whatever you want about that. But um, so uh, things changed. Things changed. And uh, Glenn Funk became the DA, and then me and three other former prosecutors, uh, Rob McGuire, Kristen Minky, Sharon Reddick, all started our own law firm, um, and did that for a while. Okay, so uh, instead of yeah. Parking in the same place, uh-huh. going to the same courtroom, yes. and seeing the same judge right. with cops as witnesses uh, and investigators out in the field and um, and no timesheets mm-hmm. um, and no worry about rent or anything like that, yeah. you suddenly get on the other side of this thing, and oh, now yeah. you not only have to be a lawyer, right. but now you're probably running all over... Middle Tennessee. That's right. Trying to figure out how to pay the rent. Right. Make the phone ring. Right. Get the money. Yep. And did you have a, an epiphany like, oh my God, this is what the Sonny Eatons and the Rich McGees and the Dana McClendons and so on of the world were yes. trying to tell me. Yes. <laughs> so how yes. did that go? How did that transition oh go for you? Oh my gosh. You know, I've, I've always had respect for you know, the defense attorneys that I've worked with because, you know, not only did they make me do my job, um, you know, the majority of them did it with uh, such pride and such dignity and just really were uh, incredible advocates for their clients. Um, 
And you know, you kind of you kind of think you hold them up on a pedestal, and you're like, "Holy shit, they're probably like killing the game and making so much goddamn money too." And they're just like, <laughs> "Sometimes, you know." <laughs> but then when I and so I decided, you know, being a criminal just because you were a prosecutor doesn't mean that it's just automatically transitive that you're going to be an amazing criminal defense attorney. I mean, the learning curve was and it's a unreal. It's, it's um, I mean. On the one hand, it's the same thing. On the other hand, it's totally not the same thing. Oh, because I feel the like mindset it goes from it, job it goes is so from much harder. well, it goes from justice for the people to justice for this guy. Yeah, and it goes from probably giving almost every police officer the benefit of the doubt until you have a really good reason not to. Right. To having maybe more doubt. Yeah. about what you're reading in a warrant or yeah. seeing in a video or hearing from the client. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so it was like, you know, on, on one hand, being a prosecutor, as crazy as this sounds, I would have been happy making my little $50,000 a year for the rest of my life. I would have been a career prosecutor. But, you know, I became a criminal defense attorney, and it was really cool to get, like, those retainers that right. that people actually like fucking paid you and but then it was like the second that the calendar clicked over to the first Start of the month all again, over. I'm like god damn got to yeah. do this all over right. again it's it's um Sisyphus rolling the rock up <laughs> up the hill only to have it roll back down <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. You're like, I'm there. I'm there. No. No, I'm not there. Phone bill, rent, web page. Yeah. All of the above. All of the above. And I was like, just just with what you're saying, I mean, I couldn't even wrap my mind around the fact of like, okay, now I've got to learn how to be a family law attorney. I just wanted to stay with criminal law. So that's what I did. It was criminal defense attorney. Um, I did love it. Uh, the two phone thing was killing me. And so I've never done the, the business. Two phones? No. Really? I just, I've only had one phone ever. Yeah. I think I've had one phone number, my cell phone, for 20 years. Yeah. That might I don't be. know. Even, I, I mean, however long. Yeah. Forever. There's a lot. I mean, and also, too, you know, there's, there's so many attorneys and there's so many seasoned criminal defense attorneys that it's, and you're, you know, starting out on your own. Luckily, I had, you know, three of my friends that I was also trying to, you know, figure out what the fuck we were doing um, together. And so thank God for them. But, um, yeah, it's, it, was, it was a lot. I just You suddenly bring the business problems yeah. into the practice of law. Absolutely. And that... That's where, like as a prosecutor, there's an endless supply of things to do that cost you nothing. That cost you nothing. And every <laughs> single day when you show up to work, there's going to be a stack of files waiting right. for you. You don't have to go hunt and gather. Right. Or, you know, or, or hope that someone, or try to figure out how much to charge someone. Exactly. Right. That's right. Yeah. And try to guess, are they crazy? Are they guilty? You yeah. Know, right? Like, yeah. How do I How do I balance paying the rent against representing this person zealously. Yeah, for sure. And then I added, I don't know why I did this, but I somehow added this additional layer of, I have to make it okay for this person. And if I don't make it okay for this person, then I suck. Right. And so that was a lot of pressure because, you know, I mean, you can be the best criminal defense attorney in the world, but, you know, there's some shit you can't undo. 
Right. You know, and it also depends on well, who's the prosecutor that's assigned to the case and are they going to be reasonable and, you know, which was a big, cult, like a big culture shock for me as well, which again, call me naive, but I always operated, I hope that even criminal defense attorneys would say this about me is that I operated with a sense of fairness. Maybe I didn't always do the right thing because I didn't know enough or I didn't, you know, believe enough or what, whatever it was, but I always tried but, to be fair but and respectful. three ounces of weed got the same outcome, you know, like if, like if you take the same set of facts or roughly the same set of facts, yeah. you arrive at the same outcome. Yes. And when you become a criminal defense lawyer, all you gotta do is walk across the hall and it's a whole different thing. Right. That's or right. it, never mind leave one county go to the other and now it's a whole different whole thing whole another thing exactly right. stuff that you won't stuff that they won't even take you to jail for never mind maybe even take you to court for in Davidson County oh is going to get you taken to jail and put on probation for a year listen 12 I, miles south of here I watched a motion to suppress hearing a three hour long motion to suppress hearing in Williamson County in circuit court and I, I kind of was like late to the party on like when I arrived in court and what was going on. And I was like, what is taking so goddamn long? It was a motion to suppress on a driving on suspended driver's license. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Is that what y'all are doing down there? I, well, I, I have not had a three hour hearing okay. on a Okay. But that's, a that actually occurred. License. That occurred. Which probably wouldn't even get docketed in Davidson County. No, hell no. I mean, hopefully, I mean... I think the the way, at least when I was there, is that General Sessions was kind of the gatekeeper, right? And a lot there were a you lot. You only of, let things get upstairs that have to have to get upstairs. Yeah. So I don't know. All right. So at some point, mm -hmm. you've had enough of that. I've had enough of it. Now, why? How did you get to that? How did you get from like? I understand completely the zig, the quick zig and mm -hmm. zag from I'm going to help my friends who get charged with weed. Yeah. To, yeah. Fuck those people, they're going to prison. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> One carjacking will do that. <laughs> right. Prosecute and put bad guys away for seven years. Then you get into criminal defense. Uh-huh. How long did you do that? I did that for four years. So mm -hmm. from 2014 until, I guess maybe even three years. Four, 2014 until uh, 2017 is when I started helping with Fahrenheit. And... I had a couple of cases that were lingering, but primarily three years. So did you just look like lose your steam for it or, or yeah. So I would, so, um, Rob and Kristen would always come back from court and they were just like, so excited and listen to what happened to court today and blah, blah. And they were like, just, you know, literally had a pep in their step every single time that they came back from court. And I was like, dude, I don't feel that way. I'm dreading coming to work. And I've never, I never felt that at the DA's office. I never felt it at Lady Foot Locker. <laughs> I never felt it at the Home Depot mulch pit when I was a garden associate. I felt it as a criminal defense attorney and I hated it. And so you, you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, that was my home. I went to, I parked in the same spot. I, you know, went to the same courtroom. I had the same judge. I had the same, same team members. I had the same public defenders that I saw. And so going from like different counties. So it wasn't necessarily the shift from like prosecuting bad guys to defending people. It was sort of the, the necessities, like the, the unavoidable, uh, let's say, burdens of having to hustle out on the street. Exactly. 
And that's okay. It was that, and it was also um, stated differently. If you had had to prosecute in fifteen counties, you might have come to the same place. Maybe, yeah. Um, but but you know, I'm such a creature of habit that like I really I really did appreciate. Again, you know, you don't become a DA to like become a millionaire, right. not, you know. But I really did appreciate that, that every two weeks the same little amount of money was going to be deposited into my well, bank account. Well, there's that too, right? You know, and so that was you know, and I knew where I was going, and I had been at the Birch Building for seven years, and I had made friends, and I you know feel like I you know knew what I was doing. And then you go from that to like walk into a courtroom where nobody knows nobody you. knows your ass. Nobody gives a damn about <laughs> Dina Shabank or your red bottom heels. Nobody gives a damn about that shit, um, especially especially in like the outlying counties. And like uh, it, it just it gave me a completely different perspective. Again, like I can only tell you how I was as a DA, but I remember walking into court. I think it was like in Wilson County. And the guy wouldn't even fucking shake my hand because I was a criminal defense attorney. And I was like, what, we, do we do this? Do people like actually behave in this manner? And then I was like, dude, I, I literally just left the DA's office like two right. months ago. Right. Yeah. And he was, he treated me completely different. Huh. And I was like, this is, I, I don't like this bullshit. But also with the added layer of, I think that the light bulb went off where I realized that, you know, Criminal defense attorneys form relationships with their clients. And sometimes you like them. Yeah. And, and, and you really want to help them. And you're, you know, having this uphill battle with a prosecutor that's just like really not feeling your guy. Right. And doesn't want to help you. That's so and hard to do. It's like, so you hard to do. You sit down with someone who's come to you at what could be the lowest moment of their life. Exactly. And in spite of what people think, most of the time, they get around to telling you the truth. Sure. Like, maybe not right off the bat. Right. But but before long, you're going to know them, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And you're going to know what the stakes are. You're going to know, oh, that's this one's, he's got a three-year-old. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. And you get, and, and you can't, like, it's really hard to take that experience and that n- familiarity and maybe even affection for a real human being and bring it to a DA who's just got a box of folders. Yeah. And who so reads, true, you know, yeah. shitbag did shitbag thing, go to prison. <laughs> right. Right? And you're like, no, wait. Yeah, wait. <laughs> this guy is, D, you know, like, yeah. yes, he made a mistake, but not the one you think. And and, and he doesn't deserve what you're thinking here. Um, and there are also circumstances, you know, socioeconomic circumstances, family circumstance, life circumstances that put him in the place or her in the place that she's in today. Whereas as a prosecutor, it's very easy to, like you said, just with your box of files to be like, I would never fucking do that. Right. Fuck this person. I'll tell you who, in my experience, gets the furthest removed from humanity. And that's prosecutors in the federal courthouse. Okay. And the reason is, man, those people hand out sentences that are 200 months, 300 months, Mm. 600 months mm. and you're like mm. and they don't blink like in you know in state court yeah you know like 8 to 12 is a pretty serious 8 to 12 years is like a big time sentence right like like and sure there's 50 year you know there's 51 years before you're eligible for parole but right. not that there's not serious sentences in state court there are but 
the federal sentencing guidelines and mandatory minimums for so many things. And they don't even slow down. They don't even blink yeah. when they start talking about 600 months. You're like, have you, done, have you divided that by 12? Right. Do you know what that is? <laughs> and, it's like a million years. Yeah. I had a, I had a child pornography case one time. Oof. And it's horrible. It's, it, you know, I mean, I make no apologies for what this guy did. Right. But when you start talking to someone and you, you know, you, like, I can't even do that math in my head. Like, their mandatory minimum sentences are triple-digit months. That's life. Yeah. It doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah. And the prosecutors are just like, yeah, we might be, you know, I mean, maybe if there were some mitigating circumstances that we could get it, you know, to 800 months. And you're like, I, what like difference does it make? 90 years. <laughs> right. Like, what difference does it make? You know, you're... So, um, all right. So, you, um, you kind of lose your fire for it. Yeah. I felt like I was not making a difference. I felt, I felt like as a prosecutor, I was making a difference. Again, I know that I didn't get every single case that I handled perfectly correctly. No one right. can. No one can. But I just, I really felt like I was not making any difference at all. When, uh, you, when you pull up somewhere and you dread walking in the door, yeah. you got to change something. You got to change something. You can't, whether it's at your house yeah. or at your job, yeah. you, 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 can't, you can't just grind like that. No, forever. you can't. And I just found myself like, just, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that I was depressed, but looking back, dude, I was depressed. I mean, I just didn't want to do anything that I used to do. It was like the, you know, oh, it's two o'clock. Is it time to start fucking drinking yet? Like, <laughs> I just hated my life. I gained so much weight. I was just like, fuck it, you know? And I just was miserable. So how do you, um, you just decide that's it. I'm, I'm done with this. Yeah. I had oh. a conversation with my mom. She actually called me one night and I, I was just like, I was probably like crying by myself. And she was just like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> Did your mom say, are you ready for medical school? <laughs> are you ready for medical school? Probably. Have you finally exactly. grown up? Have you finally come to your senses, Dina? <laughs> um, but yeah, I was like, I, don't, I can't do this anymore. Can't fucking do this anymore. And um, she's like, well, then don't. And she's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what anything. I'm going to do. Anything. Anything. I'm good at shoe sales. Right. I can go back to Lady Foot Locker. I don't even think that place exists anymore. But anyways, I decided that, you know what? I can speak Arabic. Uh, who in the feds would not want me? I'm an attorney. So I was just going to be a federal prosecutor somewhere. I'm just going to go anywhere, somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so I just started applying to all of these fed jobs. And then... Like out of town. Literally. I was anywhere. like, I will go to fucking Idaho. I don't give a damn. Okay. I want to. Wow, uh, you, you you were depressed. I was depressed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was dating Sherman at the time. He was like, "Wait, you're going where?" And I was like, well, "Listen, we're not married. Like, uh, I mean, right. I got to do what I got to do, right. you know." And so, um, I applied to the FBI, CIA, NSA, any kind of United States Attorney's office in nowhere America. And um, then there was a, hire, a federal hiring freeze when Trump got elected. And so I was like, well, guess that's, uh, guess I'm not going to do that. And right around that time, Nora, my sister, um, she started Fahrenheit in 2011 and was in Brentwood. 
and she was, you know, had been asking me for years, can you help me just, let's turn this in, let's make this a family business, you and me, let's, let's do it. I feel like I can't take Fahrenheit to the level that I, you know, see it, you know, just by myself. And for years, I was like, I'm, I'm an attorney. I go to court every day. Yeah. Like, what you do is adorable. Yeah, but it is I'm an attorney. Adorable, but right. I am. You're, wait, right. you're, you're probably sitting at Thanksgiving, like, I'm so glad you're here, Laura. <laughs> you know, Laura didn't go to medical school either. Right. But at least I'm a lawyer. Right, exactly. <laughs> I know okay. I'm. I know you're ashamed of me, but let's don't forget about Laura. That's right. That's exactly. I mean, she literally. I mean, and this is so. Like, anything new going on at the yoga, yoga studio? Yeah. Laura? Uh, inviting new artwork for right. the yoga studio. Did you find some new music, some new chimes, <laughs> some new wind chimes. Oh my god, that's so funny. I was like totally silently judging her, but I mean, you know, whatever. But. She had been asking me for years to help her, and I was just like, I can't. I'm in court every day, and what are you even talking about? Right. Like, I can't I don't, even, what, what, yeah. I don't have any time. And so she asked me again, and, and she and I had not had the conversation of I'm miserable being okay. a criminal defense attorney. And she just like happened to ask me, and I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll help her. Until, what else am I going to do? Right. What else am I going to do? Right. Until, until I figure until, out what until I'm Until the do. FBI calls. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm. So... She was um, coming up at the end of her lease. The situation just became very untenable with her landlord, and they were trying to put parking restrictions and blah, blah, whatever. And so I was like, we need to get the fuck out of here. We need to close down in Brentwood. We need to start identifying a property to purchase and to build on. And I was like, and here's why. When I shut down my law firm, I had to pack up my files, and I got the fuck out of there. With a hot yoga studio, there's so much construction involved with right. the locker rooms and the showers right. and the heat panels and that you can't at the end of your lease you've dumped all of this money into right. a space that's no longer yours and now right. the landlord's making you leave essentially right. and so now when you, you know so that's when we started like just going on the hunt for and so as we record property. this we're sitting at Fahrenheit, at Fahrenheit yeah. on 12 in 12 south yeah um, a neighborhood which is Changed so much. Unrecognizably different than when I lived not far from here when I was at Vanderbilt yeah. in the early 90s. Yeah. Um, so now, every day, every you day. get up and you put on your yoga, your Lululemons. My Lululemons. <laughs> no red bottoms. No red bottoms. Nikes. I've traded them for Nikes or flip flops. All right. Even. And, um, I mean, you seem happy. I'm very happy. All right. I'm so happy. So you don't miss doing the law stuff. I don't. I mean, I still kind of do lawyer ish stuff. Um, like, so our contracts or, right. you know, um, I'm basically, my job is to, is to run the business. Nora, I'm actually not an instructor. I'm not okay. certified. Nora is certified. She's an incredible teacher. And so she teaches along with our, uh, I guess, almost 30 other teachers teach at Fahrenheit. And, um, I just kind of manage the business and it's fun for me. Um, so I so love you it. like coming to work now. I love coming to work. So I learned a lot just with the construction. Um, that was an interesting process because we, we purchased the land. There was like a house that was like built in 1925 that was on here. So just doing the demo of that, finding a contractor, architect. Running civil- through Metro codes. Oh God. Yeah. Metro codes. That's, oof. that was, uh, definitely interesting. I could tell you anything that you want to know about sidewalks and, uh, <laughs> and how, to, how to buy your way out of them. <laughs> how to buy your way out of them. And, 
Um, but yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been I've enjoyed learning the business and just doing everything that you have to do to run a business. So I've done, I don't know, six or eight of these episodes. Uh-huh. And of course I talk to lawyers not on uh, tape all the time. Yeah. I don't think I know a trial lawyer that doesn't harbor a secret exit strategy. Okay. Like, like every single one, and maybe it's because I ask, but like almost every single one I ever talked to is like, oh yeah, I know exactly what I would do if I weren't doing this. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and there've been some interesting answers, but uh, you did it. I did it. You did it. So yeah. if the FBI calls and says, we have an opening yeah. in our Philadelphia office. Yeah. What are you going to tell them? I'm not going. No. Not doing that, it. Yeah. That, that should Well, you are now married. Yes, I am married. So there's that. I couldn't leave my Mormon. But, um, but yeah, so there is that. But I love what I'm doing because I feel like I'm actually making a difference. Like, I feel like I'm helping. This is, this is my family's money. This is my family's legacy. I'm hoping that... You know, when no Dash one, gets a little older, he can work the front desk. When Nora's little ones get a little older, they can work the front and desk. And no one calls and, you crying because their kid went to prison today. That's right. Yeah. So it's the so there's there's the abs like sometimes subtraction is addition. That's right. So it's a really good way to put it. Yeah. So you don't have the and you don't have to rush off. You get to park in the same place. Get to park in the same place. Yeah. You are a creature of habit. Yeah, I am. <laughs> you I'm, might. I'm the boss lady of this yeah. operation, and you might I, not have ever been cut out for criminal defense work. I don't think I. Unless I you could have like organized it to where you were in the Davidson County Courthouse all the time only. Which I mean, you can't do. I mean, I had to it's follow to the do. money. Right. To follow, somebody, somebody calls and in. says my case is in Gallatin. Exactly. Guess what? That's where you're going. You're going to Gallatin. No, you're going to fucking Gallatin. That's right. And I just, I think I just, I put too much um, emotion where it was like the cynical DA who was like, yeah, I have a murder trial to try. Yeah, okay, fine. fine. You I don't want to plead to 25? Yeah, fine. that's no problem. Cool. We'll try. No problem. But as a you want to do it Monday? Attorney, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, good. But as a criminal defense attorney, I was just like, I can't handle having to tell, you know, Mama Smith. That there's a certain sound that moms make when their sons are handcuffed and let out the wrong door. Yeah. I've heard it yeah. more than once. It sucks. It does. It sucks. It's literally gut-wrenching. You know, I've said that, um, and I don't know that I would actually want to have to do this myself, but um, I, th- I think before you're allowed to go eat in a restaurant, you should have to work in a restaurant. Okay, yeah. And I've done that. I've yeah. been a bartender and a waiter Me and too. a cook and all that. I think the people that are the most impossible um, guests at, at and customers at restaurants never did it. Yeah. Right? Because everything changes when, like, if a little hiccup happens at the table and Amy and I are sitting there and the server's like, I'm so sorry about like, we don't just, worry about Hey, yeah. we did this. Yeah, we did don't this. Don't worry. Yeah. We're not taking it off of you. Yeah, right. we're good. Right. Kitchen screwed up, no problem. Right. Yeah. Everything changes. They're like, okay, God. you know, like, they know. Okay, cool. So I've done that. I don't, I don't know. Do you think the, do you think the whole thing would be better? Criminal, the criminal system would be better if prosecutors had to do criminal defense for a while and criminal defense lawyers had to prosecute for a while. Yeah. I think, I, I think that, listen, I wasn't a good criminal defense attorney in the sense of, uh, I just, I feel like I've got too emotional about it and I've, 
you know. Um, but I think that it really, I wouldn't trade it for the world because it really gave me a new perspective and it gave me this newfound major, major, major respect for criminal defense lawyers. Um, it's tough work. I mean, at the end of the day, being a prosecutor is hard, but being a criminal defense attorney is fucking hard. You've got to talk to your client. Obviously you're not obligated to talk to their family members. You don't have to, but, but, you are. You're, but you're gonna, and, mm -hmm. and you're going to get to know them and you're going to get to know their story. And then, you know, the freaking odds are kind of stacked against you if you're charged with something. So good luck undoing that. Yeah. When the state brings its power to bear against you, the individual. Yeah. It's pretty much a wrap, you know, it can be, it can be. And so, yeah, I think it would be, I think it would be a really interesting thing to, my experience has been that the most difficult prosecutors were not the ones who tried the case hard or, you know, were really good at the in the room stuff. The most difficult and frustrating prosecutors were the ones who had never done anything other than that. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, they really didn't know how to measure mercy and they really didn't know how to measure. They, they, they had become bureaucrats with, excessive power. Yeah. And, you know, uh, not many, but some just, you know, it's like, God, yeah, you're like, you're, you're really not making the world a better place. Yeah. Even though you think you are. Yeah. I, I could see how, if you, if you're a career prosecutor, how you can get just like into that one track. Um, and, and, and this is almost, and that usually doesn't last more than about 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the youngish, it's the young ones looking to make a reputation mm -hmm. who, I think the thing that defines this problematic person is that they tend to see the world in black and white. Yes. They, they, they cannot recognize shades of gray. They right. only see the world as us good guys against those bad guys. Yeah. And you meddlesome defense lawyer who really ought to be on our side anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think that goes back to, and, and I used to be that person. I used to be a very black or white person. There was one way to eat a sandwich and then there was the <laughs> wrong way to eat a sandwich. I mean, it was just how I was. And I, I really uh, am thankful for a lot of criminal defense attorneys that just in court and after court having, you know, some drinks after or We used whatever. to do that at the Gerst house. Yeah, I know. I, that, that place was around when I, before I went to law school. Um, and then they, it's gone, right? That kind or of camaraderie, it? well, it's, yeah, it's closed. Okay. That kind of camaraderie is, is really the only um, antidote to that insulated us against them mentality that can develop. And I'm sure that there are defense lawyers that are like that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I just have never had to be opposite them. Right. I'm sure that there are obnoxious, difficult, you know, criminal defense lawyers who just want to have three hour sure. hearings on right. motions to suppress on a yeah. case that, you know, on a driver's license case. Yeah. Um, for no reason other than to make their reputation and prove something. Yeah. But that kind of camaraderie is the antidote to that. I agree. 100%. So do you ever have any of your former colleagues come do yoga? Sharon will come do yoga. I haven't really seen any. Uh, there's, a, there's a few. I'm trying to think. No. 
So you you have walked far away. I've walked far. You can't quite see the courthouse from here, but it's a long way for you. It's a long way away. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I miss I miss it from time to time, but not enough to like do anything about it. You know. So. All right. So, uh, pimp your shit. So you you are now running Fahrenheit Yoga. Where are you? So we're on the corner of Kirkwood and 12th Avenue South. Okay. Right across from Sevier Park at 2909 12th Avenue South. Okay. And classes all day, every day? Or all how do you, day, what do you every do? day from 5 o'clock in the morning until 8.30 at night. All right. And uh, obviously, I'm yoga. sure there's a website. Yes. FahrenheitYogaStudio.com. So can people uh, register for a class online? Yes. Do in you? fact, you have to in okay. order to secure a spot because we're limiting class sizes because of the corona. Okay. You know? So, um, and style for... Uh, it's all hot. It's all hot it's yoga. It's all hot yoga. All right. Yeah. And so there's... Uh, Vinyasa, uh, what people may know as Bikram yoga. We call it Hot 26. We have um, sculpt classes, which is yoga with light weights. So, yeah. And it's a beautiful facility. It's Thank really nice. You. It's new. Yes, brand and, new. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, we got showers. It's fun. Nice. You should try it. Well, I know you've done it before. I, I did. I, I grossly underestimated how hard it was. It's pretty hard. Um, yeah. It's it's very it's way harder. Yeah. Um, I'm at the point where now where I just want to watch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can do that. So too. you let me know if you ever put. You can be the bleach. creeper with your mat in the corner, right, just like yeah. watching class. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna hit uh, child's pose and, and chill. <laughs> yeah. At the beginning. At the beginning. No, not even. Nope. Not even gonna try downward dog. Just, <laughs> right. It's gonna hit child's pose and chill out. I like it. I like well, it. thank you so much for doing this. Thanks um, for having me. My pleasure. Fun. All right. Great. <laughs> so there you have it. How to disappoint your parents and live the life you always dreamed of all in one story. <laughs> uh, or alternatively subtitled, how to go from would-be criminal defense lawyer to hardcore prosecutor in 60 seconds flat. I'm starting to think that every trial lawyer has a secret alternative career that they would rather pursue, and that the difference between Dina and the rest of us is that Dina popped smoke and actually did it. This is Dana McClendon. This has been Ready for Trial. If you enjoy what I'm doing, please hit the subscribe button, leave some comments, like this, follow me on social media, do all that stuff. Um, And until next time, thank you for listening.